Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Going for the Green, the Daily Roto Fantasy Golf Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Colin Drew. We are in the season. We, we've got our first event. We've already had, you know, one egregious ending. Xander should have won in the first event in Hawaii. He didn't. That's okay, though. It's okay. Colin, how did the first week of golf go for you? I guess it went about as expected for the 30-man field no-cut event. You know, I was sitting on a, a nice sweat um, after the end of the second round, I guess, where I was kind of live up top of the biggest MME. I think it was like third or fourth place with a unique team, which was one of my big strategies last night. It was just trying to generate unique lineups. And um, when a PGA sweat goes as expected, it just basically means that your, your you know, two-day finish is going to completely tank off and you're going to end up bleeding money by the end. Uh, cash my single entry, lost money overall just because of MME. And yeah, it was, it was good to kind of get back into things. And I felt like, you know, things were pretty on. The biggest mistake I made last week was I did create a rule on DraftKings to play at, at most one of JT, Rom and Lanto. And that ended up, you know, being the optimal lineup. So that was a, I don't know if it was a process error, but it definitely was a result error. So my, my rule, and actually I got specifically asked by one of our subscribers via Twitter DM to talk a little bit about rules this week. So I think this is a good transition. And we already talked about this in Daily Roto sub Slack a little bit, which was I made a rule that was minimum one of Xander and Cantlay. And I also, I also did that in addition to maximum 49,800 as my, as my salary cap. So one is, as we talked about last week, and as you just mentioned, the number one thing I'm trying to do is create unique lineups. Like if I, if, if I accept that the likelihood of me winning one of these tournaments is very low, I definitely do not want that probability to include a tie or like having like a mega dupe lineup where you're winning with like just a, a horrible combination in these smaller fields. And my thinking was, you know, X and Cantlay combined, those two had, you know, similar win equity if, if you're combining their win equity to Justin Thomas. So I just wanted to have loads and loads of exposure to those guys and try and not be overloaded on the 6K guys. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And I was trying to generate unique lineups too. I think I capped salary at like 49.7K. It was more important to do that in this specific event because it was such a small field. Um, as we get into the Sony Open, you know, that's still a viable strategy, but it's not something that you have to do because there are ways to generate unique lineups with the full salary cap this week, which there weren't really last week. And um, that was also why I made that rule with at most one of Rom, JT, and Lanto, because I felt 
like based on the pricing and the projected ownership that those ownerships were going to correlate heavily with each other. And they did, you know, at the end of the day, it was like a train of like seven to 10 teams that took down the best ball, the $8 tournament. And that wasn't what I was going for. So I do think I grouped out, you know, the optimal, but um, if the coin had flipped my way, then I, I think, you know, I had a lot of chances at a unique lineup. So um, this week, I think, you know, trying to focus a little bit on unique lineups, there's only one GPP with, and it's like 70,000 people in it. Um, you're you're going to see some dupes in that, but definitely not to the same extent as last week. So uh, one other thing I wanted to mention was, I and I, I really want to hammer this home specifically to people who are subscribing to the Data Golf product on DailyRoto.com. You guys, you guys need to be playing Showdown. I would have had a, uh, I, I would have ended the first week of golf back in the red had I not played Showdown. But I had uh, round two Showdown went very well for me. Got second in the eight dollar on round two, and like. But the, so there are a couple reasons for this. First is there's no content for Showdown, so people are inherently going to be worse at it. The second is that people who are just clicking names and they're not doing, uh, they don't have access to projections, their lineups are going to be even worse in Showdown than they would be over week long. And uh, the third is the the data golf projections are very good relative to anything else that's out there, so you actually have more edge in those. And the field sizes are smaller, so it's easier to realize your equity. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can play it four times instead of one. So you're able to kind of compound the returns. We talked a little on last week's pod about that. But if you weren't listening, you know, if you're trying to make money at this at PGA DFS, then I think playing showdown and focusing on some of those games, is a really good way to grow a bankroll. Um, obviously, you're not going to get the same life changing scores there. Um, so if you're playing for fun, you're just trying to turn, you know, five bucks into 100k, then Sticking to those huge GPPs is fine, but I do think that showdown is a good place to try to grind a profit. Yeah, definitely. So now we are we have moved on from the Tournament of Champions. We are ready for the Sony Open. Uh, I, I don't feel the need to go deep into the deep into what happened in at the, the TOC. It was never really that interesting to me, especially once Xander uh, choked it off in the playoff. Reminder, Golf20 promo code. I, I assume, Drewby, that means 20% off of the golf product. Uh, 2020, man. It's 10% <laughs> off the golf product. <laughs> Can't be given out of the free, free 20% percent codes there we go uh, so the uh go ahead you can you can show the product a little bit no i mean it you know we've got obviously great fantasy golf projections and the optimizer at daily roto so if it is something where you're trying to build projections uh, build projections build rosters for mme i think we've kind of got you covered and then obviously data golf also powers the betting tools so if you're looking to to punt it off on you know the outrights and top 20 markets and head-to-head tools we've got that covered too but um, yeah, as far as last week, the, the only real takeaway, I mean, Patrick Reed did run insanely hot with his putter. Um, Nine more, strokes gained. Yeah, more than two <laughs> around. So that's, that's um, you know, he is a, a streaky putter. He is an above average putter. And um, putting is not something you can disregard entirely on a week-to-week basis, but there's a lot of short-term volatility. And so um, I'm not necessarily looking to, to chase Patrick Reed in the near future. Uh, I think your your plays, you know, you locked on some guys who were pretty dialed in um, and didn't come to fruition, but uh, should be an w- interesting one this week with the the new cut rules, especially. And also uh, a very important thing to uh, to mention here is that you guys are all, if you consume more golf content other than this podcast, a huge thing that you're going to see people talking about is 
guys who do well at the Sony Open oftentimes played the Tournament of Champions, and guys who did well in the Tournament of Champions often played the Hero World Challenge. And if you if you use your critical thinking skills for a little bit and you think about why that might be, the answer is that uh, the good golfers probably played the Tournament of Champions, and the good golfers probably played the Hero World Challenge. However, if I may go anti-data here for a little bit, I do completely think there is something to playing golf in the environment, in the time zone, you know, no jet lag, so on and so forth. Like my, my no data take is that I do weight that stuff a little bit for sure when in my decision making. Yeah, um, I think that it matters. But like you said, it's hard to tease out. And if you look at the betting odds for this, you know, you're going to see a lot of the guys that played last week are priced up in the betting markets too, which correlates really strongly with the the DraftKings salaries and the fantasy salaries across the industry. So I don't really think you're generating some huge edge. You know, it's the relaunch of the season. So it's, it, it's just nice to know that a guy has a round under his belt and he's not just completely rusty right. from, you know, drinking over the holidays. And, but a lot of the guys who are here, you know, they're, they're looking to get their tour card or they're looking to make some money. So I don't think we have to necessarily question any of the motivation. This course is a pretty unique one. It's a, uh, Par 70, just over 7,000 yards, 10th shortest on tour. But still, despite being a par 70, yielded the fourth most eagles on tour last year. And um, in Data Golf's kind of course history tool, it actually has some of the strongest predictive elements as far as course history of any course on tour. And that's not something I think most people would have expected. So between that, the distance, and like the course fit, I think there are some interesting elements about this course at play this week. Yeah. And another thing is, uh, the wind, this is, it's, it's not, you know, obviously we are, we are pretty far out in terms of, you know, thinking about how the wind is actually going to play Thursday, Friday and stuff like that. But, but as of right now, we're recording this Tuesday around noon. Uh, there is projected to be a lot of wind this week and, you know, I don't know there, maybe there will be a wave wave edge. Maybe you buy that certain guys play better in the wind than others, but that is just something to monitor and to mention. Yeah, and I would definitely say um, for from like a wave edge perspective, a lot of times it's hard to predict the forecast over, you know, one day forward, much less over the course of an event. Um, so you'd want to see something clear in order to make like AM, PM, tea time adjustments there. But even if you're not picking up anything as far as a wave edge on Thursday and Friday because it balances out, there definitely are wave edges in showdown. And that's something that you can customize really easily within the projections. And so if you're a subscriber and you're grinding showdown, which we definitely recommend doing, then make sure you're paying attention to those weather forecasts because you can get some, um, you know, math based adjustments in there and, and, you know, basically play the best plays. Yep. Play the best plays. So, uh, do we have, do we have any big course, course history or course fit, uh, guys that we need to mention before we dig into the salary uh, discussion? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Just generally, you know, the data golf work I mentioned, it shows this course does have one of the most predictive course history elements on tour. And that's because I think the course fit here is pretty unique compared to a lot of stops on tour. And one of the reasons it's unique is that driving distance is actually not nearly as beneficial as it is on your average tour course. Now, this doesn't mean if you're like insanely accurate and you can bomb it, that that's a bad thing. Distance is always helpful, especially for DraftKings scoring where the Eagles come into play. But um, driving accuracy, you know, this course is pr pretty neutral. So basically guys who are on other courses being penalized for not being able to hit it very far, they're not going to be penalized quite as much. And a lot of courses kind of overweight driving distance. This course still overweights it a little bit, but it's a lot closer to like a coin toss with driving accuracy um, from the course fit perspective. And 
uh, I think that ties into some of the guys that you see with really strong course histories here. Guys like Charles Howell III, Jerry Kelly, Brian Stewart, Brian Gay. A couple names that I think when you read those off, you think of as like shorter, more accurate players. And um, a couple of the guys with some really poor course history and course fit are like the Luke Lists, Aaron Wises of the world. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would completely make sense, though, because those guys, those guys' skill sets are are so related to you know pushing the ball further and at a course where that doesn't matter as much, you know. Uh, then uh, what what are you what are you really going to do? So, getting ready, digging into it, we have only one golfer priced over uh, priced at twelve thousand, and it is Justin Thomas. He is capturing a massive amount of the win equity per data golf. He is priced. Uh, it looks so so for. In the outright betting markets, he is five and a half to one. He was five to one to win the 32-man field uh, last week. He has given 13% of the win equity in this event from Data Golf. The second most amount of win equity is Hideki at 7.3. I mean, what what do you, JT is the only true, you know, blue chip top tier top five player in the world at this event. Which is where are you where are you coming in thinking about JT right now? Yeah, it's a tough one. A lot of times when I see something like that, the first thing I look, I do is I look towards the bottom end of the pool and I think like... And see how bad it is? Yeah, how dicey is it? Um, and there's definitely a lot of guys I'm not comfortable with. Um, I think because of that, I don't have a high degree of confidence with me building six of six lineups around JT and therefore it becomes a split between whether or not we're talking about single entry or whether or not we're talking about MME. Um, you know, in MME, I think if I'm building with some GT, whether I play him like close to his projected ownership at like 25%, I'm sure that I can squeeze some six of six through just based on having a few iterations of cheap value guys with him in the single entry. I'm not really confident that I can do that. And I think you actually can maximize your six of six odds or even five of six odds, which could be good enough in a, a small field tournament this week. That is um, going to be a big difference is with the cut rules moving to T65. Uh, and we actually see this on the European tour as well. Like your, like your O2 or DFS, five of six is like you, like you can win stuff with five of six because the six of six percentage overall, just it just completely tanks. Yeah, and if it might be like, you know, one to 3% getting six of six. And if you're doing that in a 300 person field, you're talking about like 10 people that are having six of six through. So you could maybe win with the expensive winner in a five of six or with the six of six and not having a winner. And so I do think it, it brings balanced roster constructions more into play, especially on courses where you do expect there to be like a decent amount of DK scoring. Yeah. And I, I, so I, I agree with you in the sense of just not really feeling great about a ton of the cheap guys, like guys under 7,000. There are, there are some guys who I am comfortable playing at this course, comfortable playing in MME, but just like, I, I do think the fact that Hideki is so much cheaper and projects so well, I do think uh, is going to make me end up being not super heavy on uh, on Justin Thomas and MME. So the rest of the guys who are above 10,000, Webb Simpson, Patrick Reed, Hideki, Colin Morikawa. Uh, if you're just using unadjusted, you know, completely raw stuff on Data Golf, you're not going to get a ton of Morikawa. But I actually think I like him more for what he costs than Reed and Webb. And I know I, that's such an anti-data take because Morikawa is so new, but I just like, I think his TD green game is just clearly better than Reed's I, and Webb is just expensive. Yeah. Webb I think is an uncomfortable price and we'll see where the final ownership projections shake out. 
Um, I feel like people are going to try to either get up to JT or to go balance altogether. Um, I'm curious what percentage of the field ends up kind of spending up on one of these guys above 10K. Um, I think Hideki was the the guy that kind of jumped out to me as like the second option after Webb. And, and basically, if you're not trying to pay up, a guy that could create more balance in your lineup above 10K is projected for decently low ownership just because his course history here is not very strong. But I think even taking into that taking that into account, he would present a pretty good leverage play. Um, but early in the week, hard to kind of tease out the ownership. I definitely um, was least interested in Patrick Reed out of anybody in this range. I, I just won't, I won't have him. And like, and, and uh, I'm not saying that cause I hate Patrick Reed or whatever. It's just like, you, you can't play all the dudes. And I am, I am certainly more interested in playing Hideki in Morikawa than I am on, on Patrick Reed. Yeah, as far as like the the data golf rankings and projections here, like I think they're pretty spot on. You know, you have like it's basically JT Gap, and then you have Webb, Reed, Hideki, Gap, and then you kind of have like Morikawa, Sanjay, Kucher, um, and Kucher's a guy that I think data golf doesn't have projected very well. Uh, I like him a little bit more. I think you're kind of getting like two things with Kucher. One is he's coming off a course where you know, his skill set wasn't really rewarded last week um, just because it is a course that favored distance a little bit more. And now you're getting a, a you know, course that does favor his skill set more and a course that he's done well at previously. So um, I'd like Kucher more than Data Golf does. I kind of put Kucher right behind Sanjay M, whereas I think Data Golf has him like four or five golfers below. Yeah, and I think all of I think that I think that's a very fair adjustment to make to Matt Kuchar. You're certainly not going to get any of him um, in the you know you're you're just not going to get exposure to him in the optimizer if you do not edit his projections or you don't edit the the course history and fit adjustment at all. Uh, Neiman is a guy who I I think is not going to be particularly popular, but a guy that uh, you know a, a guy that I I will like and want to have in my mix and and Grinder Sungjae. This is a great event for Grinder Sungjae because he. He just you know he just he's getting his t8 man that's just what he's gonna do he's he's getting paid um no i definitely i like this range quite a bit as far as balanced you know you could potentially fit them in as the second guy in your roster or you could go with a few different guys from this range um i think kuchar is kind of the one that gets the biggest bump as far as fit for me and you have a little bit more track record there but it does seem like the type of course with sanjay and Neiman and they should play pretty well um and then CH3 I think is another guy that has you know a really strong course history here it's a course that data golf has proven course history is more predictive he, he is than he is such a jam I I'm gonna play so much chart like so for example uh a guy that is projecting for more ownership right now is Abraham Anser and Leishman who he's he's nestled right there in price I will probably have double the howl over Anser like I I think howl is such a strong play here yeah, I think that like the name value will end up carrying, you know, a little bit more ownership as the week carries on. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of put like Howell right behind Kucher in my rankings. And that's definitely a point where you can build really balanced rosters that have good six to six equity and good course fit and um, decent, decent win probability. So um, I'm with you there. I like Siege 3 just a little bit more than answer. 
Yeah, I, I just like, like especially as we're talking about this course history and fit stuff, I, I think he's pretty strong. Corey Connors is, uh, Corey Connors is just fancy Luke List. You know, it's just, it's just like, it can he, or, or fancy, uh, Mayo, Mayo said on his show that he's just Benny Ann. And, and yeah, I mean, Corey Connors, great TD Green game, not super hot. Like, actually, he's just a, a straight up terrible putter. And th- this is actually a bad course for guys like that because some of their T to Green game advantage is going to be mitigated by the fact that uh it's just not that hard to get good looks at putts on a shorter course yeah i, I definitely am a little bit lower on answer and connor's and her default projections um I, I kind of have them i guess like a little bit closer to sneds a little bit closer to to kisner um i think they kind of get just lost a little bit here where at their prices, I would rather just get up to the guys I feel comfortable with, like a Neiman, Sungjae, or Howell, or I'd rather get down, try to save a little bit more money, or get some, you know, really low ownership from some of these other guys. And so, right now, like the answer, Connors type is picking up a fair bit of ownership, kind of fifteen to twenty percent. And at that level, I'd be, I'd just prefer to pass and maybe pick up like single digit ownership on Snedeker as leverage play. Or even some like Chesrivi, who he doesn't project. I think he's overpriced in this field. He doesn't project great, but because of that, his ownership is so low. And if you talk about like a, a course that favors shorter players, that's definitely something where Ches can thrive. And so he's a guy that on leverage is kind of getting boosted up. If his ownership comes up at all, like to ten percent, then I'd kind of be off him there. Yeah, uh, some guys who I think are going to be overowned in this range: Kisner for sure. Uh, Cameron Smith projects okay, but again, you know, I think that he is a guy who is likely going to be overowned. What do we What do we do with freaking Brendan Todd projected at a ton of ownership right now? Yeah, um, I, it'll. It's hard to believe. I mean, we would. I would fade him, right? Like, like straight up, I would fade him. It's hard to believe that the ownership. Uh, will come in quite that heavy, but it could just be like an early week uh, buzz thing. And that could smooth out a little bit as we go on. It would be pretty easy for me to pass to that ownership. And in preference for Chesri V and Brian Harmon, uh, I probably will boost Todd's projections a little bit as far as MME runs, just to account for some other things that I've looked at that I think can add some value to our projections. So I'll probably boost his projections a little bit, but I think if he stays at 20% owned, that'll just not give me my exposure out anyways. Yeah. Uh, a guy who, if this ownership projection holds, I think I, I could see myself tripling the field on JT Poston, but I think that he seems like a, you know, a pretty decent course fit. He's a guy who fits um, our, uh, our arbitrary criteria of already having played rounds down here and everything. And, uh, you know, he's not a guy who's disqualified due to uh, distance, you know, for, for, you know, just because this is a, a shorter course. So I, I think Poston is a guy that I am comfortable taking a big stance on. Yeah, I, th- I think he'd be a good play. Um, looks right now like he's, kind of like a clear secondary option for the field compared to like Sebastian Munoz, Brian Stewart, Russell Knox, all those guys rate pretty comparably in our projections, but Poston rates a little bit better at half the ownership. So the type of player that I'm really looking at in single entry where you're not sacrificing any projection, um, but you are gaining the benefit of ownership. His, that's the type of player in three max. I think you want to be going for his results are kind of crazy. Like his, his, like the results that he's gotten over the last year of golfing are like way better than you would think. Like he like, and granted, I mean, he's, uh, he's dominating the, uh, the weak field events, but I mean, still like, it's still that's better. That's what we got here. I yeah. Mean, I mean, right. We're, exactly. This is what we're talking about. 8,100 right. JT Poston. It's a pretty weak field. 
Yeah. Wow. 80. What a, what a life. Um, our, our boys, uh, Joel Damon, baby. I, I know the I know the projections don't like him, but I do not care. I, we're, we're getting Joel Damon in this week. Yeah, you you got to reach out the the old bucket hat himself. Oh yeah, I should I should DM him and just be like, hey man, how's the course? How's the wind? How's everything going? You've been playing a lot, Joel. You've, you've been, been practicing. You, you've been practicing, bro. I think I if I remember what he said on the podcast is that during the during the the off time, I do not think that he plays very much. So it could so, be a little little vacation trip for Joel. Yeah. I don't, oh, oh, I actually, I, I would, I just skipped a ton of guys because I was, uh, I was scrolling too far. So going, uh, going back up to the, uh, the eight thousand dollar ranges. There are, there are a couple other guys who I think are are pretty strong here that the projections do not like as much. Russell Knox, seventy eight hundred, just a, a very classic short knockers course. Data Golf always loves Carlos Ortiz. Just like it, it just regardless of course. It doesn't like they're just always in on him, and uh, Rory Sabatini via the. Pro- I think it seems like via the projections, maybe they think he's Rory McIlroy. Like in my in my first one fifty run, he is he was my highest owned guy with like no settings at all. So I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> he, he he might be the the Rory McIlroy for this course. I think he's priced in a place where he doesn't draw. He doesn't go overlooked, but he doesn't draw a ton of ownership either because. You've got Miliano Grio, who's right there. You've got Lanto, who was popular last week, uh, played decently and could carry that in. And then we t- you talked a little bit about Russell Knox above. So um, I think Sabatini ends up being a really strong play for MME, overweight the field there, and the type of guy, again, like that you want to look for in three max where you're not really sacrificing too much in the way of projection, but you are picking up some ownership leverage. And then uh, the other guy, I think, what gets one of the biggest course history bumps in the field. Uh, we talked about it off the top a little bit, but Brian Stewart picks up four and a half DK points based on course fit and course history here. The I'm not, I'm not doing Brian it, man. I, I am not going to be a Brian Stewart or a, or a Brian gay fish this week. I just like, I, I can't, man. I can't with Brian Stewart. Like they, like Brian Stewart week. I just, I, I don't know. I don't have it in me, especially if he's going to be like big chalk. Right. Yeah, so again, like that that's just the course history bump. Data Golf has that baked into the projection. He is not a smash value. I think they have him rated 29th in the field this week, and he's priced 23rd, so still a little bit overpriced. And that's one of the important things we talk about every week. Um, it's easy, you know, the course history, course fit stuff is going to be the content fodder. It's all there is to talk about with the golf course and on a week-to-week basis, but it's all about price in DFS. And so um, I think that, he's a guy that is important to think about this week, but I do tend to agree. He is a little bit overpriced. Yeah. So some other guys in this range that the, uh, that the projections are, are very interested in. It's just, it's just old, old fat guys, you know, the Von Taylor, Pat Perez, some of those type of guys. Uh, do you have a, do you have a, a Keegan take this week? No, no, no Keegan take. I mean, it's not the type of course I'd be looking to play Keegan at, um, if you're ever, I mean, not that you're ever really looking to play Keegan. No, no, there are, there are some where you're, you're like, you're it, looking for like the longer courses. Yeah. But this, this course where it like very easily could just be like, all right, who can make the most putts from, from nine and a half feet over four days. Probably don't want to take Keegan there. So yeah. Philly, if you're uh, listening to this, this is a, this is a good new Keegan week. I think I would prefer currently at the kind of ownership and projection dynamics, I would prefer Zach Johnson 
clearly over Pat Perez um, and probably Zach Johnson over Von Taylor. Von Taylor, I think, is an okay play. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of in my mix in like a 20 max type format. And then, yeah, I, I think ZJ is not going to, like off of his slightly down season last year, I think he's going to um, not carry the, the ownership that we typically see with him and a, a shorter course where wedges come into play more. And, you know, you don't have to be a long player, I think is a good course for ZJ. So if his ownership holds sub 5%, really strong play for me. And then you kind of have Daniel Berger there as well, who I think is maybe going to be the highest owned guy at 7,500 and below, but he does rate as a solid value. You know who you know who the best seven K guy is, and the projections don't say this, but they don't know. It's it's totally it's Dylan. Like Dylan is just gonna like he's another guy who I'm like oh he's just gonna come here and get a T12. I I think that he is a better class of golfer than the guys he's probably like. I think Dylan Fratelli is better than Ortiz. You know I think he's certainly better than Ryan Palmer, Lanto Griffin, Kevin Na. Like I I just think he is a a better class of player than those guys. Yeah, I, I would prefer Sabatini head to head. Yeah, that's I, you know price. you noticed that in my in my disingenuous tout there, I did not say Rory Sabatini because Sabatini's clearly better. But I think I mean we've gotten them close, and Fratelli's not carrying any ownership right now, just three percent projected. So um, from a leverage perspective, I do agree with you there. Yeah. Um, okay. So now getting into some of the punt range, we already talked about our boy Joel Damon. Uh, if you've if you've used the daily uh, if you've used the daily roto data golf uh, product before, you of course know that Kyle Stanley is a very good tee to green and one of the world's worst putters. Bryce Garnett is actually a guy that I I uh, I placed a first round leader bet on him and a T20 bet on him this morning researching for this. Like he seems to have, uh, he just seems to be underpriced in pretty much every market relative to his results over the last year. So I uh, I really like him. Always really like Bud Colley. Where are you at for punts? Yeah, the, the punt section's dicey this week, and that kind of feeds into the, the JT conversation. And I guess peeling back the layer in the optimizer and some strategy and settings that I like to use with the Daily Rotor product, one of the thresholds that we have there is uh, we have one for made cut uh, and also for T20. So what I've found is to like win the $8 best ball, a lot of times what you need, or to win whatever the largest field MME is, this week it's a $5 tournament. A lot of times what you need is all your golfers to be inside the top 20, and then you kind of got to luck your way onto the winner as well. So when I'm setting a threshold, I want to make sure that guys are at least somewhat live to T20. And yeah. I have found that range to be like 15 to 20%. So if I'm being one of like a condensed player pool, I might set it at 20%. And kind of jam that way and there aren't very many punts that have 20 t20 probability uh bryce garnett was one of those guys but collie is one of those guys nick taylor is one of those guys but um in general it's it's a pretty dicey range this week so i'll either have to drop that filter or it's gonna you know basically i'm not gonna punt which is gonna kind of take me off of some of those jt builds yeah i i think that's uh you know i i, I mean that's kind of that's kind of the whole point in general is that this is just there just are not a ton of great golfers down in this range uh, one of the one of the funniest prices i've ever seen Patton kazire 6900 like what where <laughs> what where's that coming from like all right all right Patton. uh there are a couple there are a couple cheap guys who i will have in my mix though that uh that i i'll probably have to just give them like a plus two keith mitchell Taylor Taylor Gooch, uh, I always think is is pretty good. The the data golf stuff is going to really push you on Nick Taylor and uh, the, just a, a great fade for you guys out there. 
GMAC, Graham McDowell, I, I would imagine that in MME he gets north of 10% owned, and uh, that is, that's, that's egregious. Very, it's very bad. It does, it does seem pretty high. Um, I feel like I like him a little bit more than the projections, but uh, anything that I do to kind of support that, it's just going to like feed into all the same things people talk about. I think there are some correlations between this course and RBC, and then you get like the coastal stuff, which brings you onto GMAC as well. And so I guess that's why he's projected at 10% ownership. And that should be enough for me to take a pass. But um, sometimes I can't help myself. And I feel like the narrative is, they could come through. Um, the other two guys, I guess, wanted to get your feedback on that would be punt values, $6,700 and below. They get the largest bumps as far as course fit and course history relative to their skill. Uh, David Hearn, the Canadian short knocker, is one of those guys. And then I know you've got some good history here at the Sony Open, and it actually is the biggest course history bump below 7000 with Zach Blair getting a five DK point bump. Still not a great play, but is that enough to get you on to Zach Blair? Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to talk me in that much into playing a dude who's five five and has like pretty good course history. So I, uh, they're they're actually, you know what? Kind of the more I look at this, the more maybe I think there are some guys who I like more than the market. You know, Doc Redman, Robert Streb, uh, Hudson Swafford, all uh, Adam Shank, sixty five hundred. You know, just a, a great Matic branded play there. Like there are there are more punts that I think I'm comfortable with, like three percent or whatever in MME that makes me more willing to play Justin Thomas. Yeah, and then the the other kind of weird guy for me to try to reconcile this week, and I don't think he's going to end up owned, even though he's popping a little bit in the ownership model. Um, but one of the things I try to do is take the data golf projections and Larry and some other criteria like betting market odds and salary and things like that. And uh, Shugo Imahira is being talked up a little bit this week. I've got him 78th in the field with the way I look at things compared to 104th for data golf. Um, it's hard for the model to handle guys like that. that get mentioned a lot, but people aren't actually going to click into the lineup. So he's a guy I'll probably have to manually adjust before we lock in the final ownership projections. All right. Well, I think uh, any other any other notes you want to give out on the uh, your the player pool? No, I mean I think it's a, a pretty good week for MME. Um, I think it's a pretty good week for single entry too. I think my recommendation in a single entry, I will probably go with a little bit more of a balanced roster construction this week for single entry and three max. And then um, if I get into MME, that's where I would be looking a little bit more um, at trying to generate some six to six lineups that have JT there. I think it'll be interesting as the season goes on in some of these smaller field tournaments just to see what types of lineups are, are winning. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the balanced roster construction is the right way to go this week. One thing I'd like to mention as it pertains to golf betting is using the Daily Roto golf tools. I was able to find a much higher, like a, a far greater amount of plus EV top 20 bets than the average tournament. And I think it's because data golf just has differing opinions on some of these relatively newer players on the tour. And there are, you know, just the maybe for there are a lot of reasons for markets to be priced the way there are, but just if you are, if you are someone who is interested in grinding out small profits in betting golf, this looked like a good week to do so betting the T20 markets. Cool. That sounds, that sounds good. That's definitely a good idea. Um, why don't you send the people out of here with your one and done pick? 
Right now, I actually am thinking I'm just going to take Hideki, I think, because I, I am not someone who ever takes Hideki at the Phoenix or at the, the Waste Management, and I also will never take him at a major. So, like, this this feels like a, a pretty good spot to do it when it's really just him, JT, and Webb as as class players. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I would probably recommend Charles Howell would be one of the guys on my short list just because... He, he will be the chalk. Yeah. And, you know, he probably should be. And early in the season, um, I'm okay kind of taking the chalk and letting it kind of figure out if you're going after like the first segment or things overall. Probably not going to use him too many other events, good course history, and a guy that you usually like to use earlier in the season. Definitely. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. Please make sure to check out dailyroto.com. You can get 10% off of our golf product that we've been chatting about here using Golf 20. And, uh, you know, Drewby and I will be in the Daily Roto Slack channel pretty much all week long talking about, thinking about, and uh, discussing golf. And we will be back next week. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital360. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.